0: Hey everyone, Chloe here. Just want to pop in a quick message before today's episode. Savant and I are hopping back on the recording schedule for this upcoming new season and will likely need the month of February to plan, script, and begin taping. In the meantime, we're replaying a couple of the most popular episodes from last season for those of you who may have missed it or just discovered us recently. Savant and I are still incredibly humbled by the support of all of you and can't thank you enough that won't stop us from trying. So thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. And thank you so, so much for following us. We are working hard to make sure that our conversation in this new season continues to be of value to you. She and I are super excited because we have an awesome lineup of topics. So please bear with us as we get ready in February. All right, that's all I got for you. Let's go ahead and get started with today's episode and we hope you enjoy.
1: Hello and welcome to the Business Behind Small Business, the show that reminds you that just because you own a business doesn't mean you're a business owner. In each episode, we will discuss a common issue small businesses face and offer tips and advice from the perspectives of two business owners, one that built to sell and one that built to inherit. We are your hosts, Savannah Stone and Chloe Lee. There's a lot of business behind small business, so let's get to it. easy to fall into the trap of thinking you're the only person that can run your business. You end up doing everything and before you know it, you really are the only person that can run your business. You created a downward spiraling job that can easily ruin your business. So how do you switch gears and become an asset to your business and not its slave? Because in the end, you want to create a business, not a job, right? Yes,
0: we've all been there where sometimes you just look at yourself. You're like, did I just create a job for myself?
1: I mean, I can speak for my own clients where they, they don't know what they don't know. So I'm I'm really looking forward to diving into this because it's so very important that people understand the difference between working in and working on your business, regardless of how long you've been in business, right? Because I feel like sometimes businesses will be or people will own a business for 10 years and still be working in it. I remember growing up, I, a girlfriend of mine, her Father owned a grocery store and he was there sun up, sun down all the time, all of the time. And it was only him and like one other person that ever worked, was ever there. And he did everything and he worked himself to the bone. And I thought, I remember at that time thinking, dude, you don't, it it should be possible for you to not have to be here all the doggone time. So... (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> but- that's true though well I think also some sometimes people start a business only to realize that there are certain aspects of having your own business that you like but yeah, sometimes people do kind of regress into kind of like realizing that, you know, they really do love the technical work. So like in your mm-hmm. example, it could be that he really just likes being at the store and doing that, which means that if that's the case, and you own a business, and you might want to find a complimentary partner who's willing to work on the business to keep it growing, if you want to kind of focus on more of the technical um, and the day to day stuff of it,
1: too. I agree. I agree. But um, I think it's important for us to identify what working in your business looks like, because maybe, you know, some some of our listeners are not really clear on what that is. And
0: like you were saying earlier, too, sometimes you kind of go back and forth. Uh, Mm -hmm. I know that certainly uh, growing my business You there's different stages and some stages you do well and you're kind of like working your way toward working on your business and doing the right things. And then when your business gets to a different level, let's say you start hiring employees, start hiring managers, you might find yourself falling back into the business for a short period of time. But it's healthy to know, kind of recognize the signs, what it looks like to be working in your business. So at least you're aware if you want to make that change. So here are a couple Absolutely. things that um, you can kind of look at to see if whether or not you are actually working in your business instead of on it. So, see if any of this sounds familiar um, to you. So, oftentimes, if you're working in your business, you you come from you feel very reactionary, meaning that oftentimes you're only tackling what is in front of you because you really don't have the time or the capacity to see what's beyond tomorrow. This could make you feel very lost. It always feels like there's more to do and, very little, and not enough time to do it. Uh, you f- always feel behind, always like there's more to do than what you know what to do with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> then there you start spiraling. Um, like you were saying, you your work probably starts declining. And again, you know, most of us go into business ourselves because we deliver a very high standard of work. So when our work starts declining, mainly because you can't get to everything anymore. So there's only so much that you can do at some point, you simply can't juggle it all. And by default, some of the work, some of the quality in your work starts kind of going downhill. Mm -hmm. Then you start maybe missing deadlines. I know that this has happened to me when I was first starting my business. There are points where I was so busy and so behind and so reactionary to everything, even though my business is growing, but I was simply still working in my business. And what happens is you feel bad because then you feel like you're missing something, but you don't remember what you're missing. And then all of a sudden you get a bill that tells you you have a late fee and then you feel yep. terrible because you're not that person. You do not get late fees. And you're like, oh, my gosh, how did I miss that? Yeah. Right. And so that's just that sinking feeling that you have. Um, but really, it's a result of uh, a symptom of you working in your business. Mm -hmm. And then last, the business can't run without you, or at least that's how you feel. So you feel like you have to be on all the time. You have to respond to every email. You have to respond to every phone call. And quite frankly, I bet that's what kind of keeps you up at night. I know for Mm -hmm. me, there was definitely a period of time in the beginning of the business where this is the 3 a.m. wake up
1: where (laughs) I will
0: wake up and my mind is going through a million things that I feel like I've forgotten or haven't done yet and need to do and I tell you, that's like, that's the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Lee. And so these are all kind of a couple classic signs of, you know, realizing that you're probably working in a business and you're working really deeply in your business rather than working on it.
1: Agreed. Agreed. And uh, I, think, I think a lot of times we are working in our business when we first start it, and that's okay. I think when we first begin it, it not every business owner goes into their very first business knowing what they're doing no right?
0: that's you see if you're kind of a serial entrepreneur it's not your first rodeo you've done mm-hmm. it once before so you're pretty clear as to the difference between what's in and on and you know yeah. that only for a limited time that you're working in a business and you're quickly hiring to get yourself out of that role
1: hmm. So when I when I started, as as we know and we've we've shared uh, soon after, I I was pregnant with my third child. And so I was only the only person working in my business for the first four years of my company. And on top of it, I had a toddler. I had a, a mid tween, if you will, and a teen. And it was kind of difficult for me. So. After the first four years, when I hired in my first, uh, started hiring and creating a, um, a department, uh, book, bookkeepers and admin, I, there was a lot of things that we didn't know and they relied on me a lot. So I was still not pulled away. And, and plus I also plugged myself into areas or avenues that I thought were going to help my business, but they didn't. And I'm going to, I'm going to get into that with my, um, ideas on how you, or examples rather, not ideas, what am I saying? My examples of how you are uh, working in your business or identifying how you're working in your business. And at that time, I didn't have a lot of my processes written down. I didn't have anything written down, really. And I truly couldn't run without me. We would go on vacations, we would be on the beach, and I would be working because there was no way around it. And It takes a lot of
0: intention and thought to actually hand off parts of your business. And most, I think... And and maybe you organically did this, too. But I I certainly know that I hired to, you know, support the revenue coming in. Uh But it was to have somebody who, you know, could work and just do the client deliverables. But, you know, again, they're they're coming in fresh and they're looking at you going, well, how exactly would you like this done? And you're like, well, that's great. How can you not how can you not read my mind? Right. And just know. (laughs) Right.
1: Yeah. 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 How do you not know that? Like that's what I hired you for. No, you start realizing how much for. of it's
0: in your head.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it took it took me going in a direction that I probably shouldn't have gone in, but learning learning um, I learned a lot from it, but it took me experiencing that to pull away and to recognize uh, a lot of which we're going to get into, but before we do, I uh, wanted to share some of my examples of how you can identify whether or not you're working in your business versus working on your business. Uh, one of and and I also will say that some of these things may or may not be personal experiences. So if you find yourself uh, spending upwards of two to four hours responding to emails, or singularly to client requests. If you find yourself going to more than three networking events a week, and I know that that's surprising, but it isn't working on your business as much as you think it is. And I'll get into that a little bit later. You find yourself working at off hours and are continually telling family and friends, including those that live with you, that you're just too busy. You can't remember the last time you did your books or if they're even done correctly, and maybe your CPA has stopped talking to you—they're not taking your calls anymore. Um, nothing about your business is written down, literally nothing. So now that we know what the problem is—which is, is you—I'm I'm pointing at you, people. Um, how do you transition? How do you transition this role?
0: So going from working in your business to on your business sometimes takes baby steps. So even if it is maybe just one hour per week or even a day per week, it's it's best to just start with setting aside time to actually just work on your business. So I can say from personal experience, for me, that was always a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning where I just set aside time that I can sit down and plan high level um, from a high level view of what I want to do with my business instead of being in the weeds answering emails, um, doing client deliverables, whatever that case may be, so that you're starting to take steps toward getting yourself out of your business. And one thing I I found really helpful when I did that when I was doing the planning is I did kind of borrow a tool that uh, Vern Harnish had. So Vern Harnish is, if you've ever heard of the Entrepreneur's Organization, EO, uh, he's the founder or starter of that. Um, he's also written quite a few books, Scaling Up being one of his most popular books. And I he really another, recommend those books. Right. And he had another book. Um, I can't remember the exact name, but it's something to do with the Rockefeller Habits. Which I think is it was also, called the
1: Rockefeller Habits. Yeah.
0: It's also both very good books about getting you from point A, which is working in your business where everybody starts and kind of, uh, quote unquote, using the title of his book, Scaling Up to a Point where you're actually owning and working on the business sort of in the business. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of the entire how to, you know, manual they try to teach you through EO, through his organization, as well through his books. But one of the uh, activities that he had is kind of this one pager that he calls the one page function accountability chart. That stuff is really really helpful and so you can actually go to like if you google it you can go to his website you know once you kind of you know put in your contact information which you'll be getting lots of emails about afterwards (laughs) you do get to download this one page tool and it's really cool essentially what it does is it kind of helps you think through all the people you would want in your organization when you after you've built it for some time Mm -hmm. what those things look like right so it may look a little different now and you could you know, also feel like you're like 10 years away from having any structure close to that. But it does make you think through like every business in some capacity has to have a CEO, has to have a CFO, has to have the COO, has to have some kind of manager. Um, you just know that there's these levels to your business. And what happens is using this uh, one pager, it kind of helps you clarify what each of those roles do. And what does that look like? And you know that right now you're encompassing all these roles. But if you're clear as to what each role is, then you can slowly start building a plan to kind of back yourself out of that role. And then also put together a primary look as to what that position would look like and what you need to do to hand it off to somebody else. Because you've already kind of carved it out and you're kind of clear as to what that involves. And in a sense, you just, you know, I like to say, like, I basically just keep firing myself from each role. (laughs) So you start out (laughs) doing everything and then eventually you realize, like, you know, COO is the role that you need to step out of. And, you know, what does that look like and what part of Mm -hmm. me I'm working on? What I'm doing is considered COO. So when I'm getting somebody hired in, I already knew exactly like what tasks I've been doing or what duties or what roles and responsibilities that I need to carve out and hand off to the COO because I'm already clear about that in my head. Mm-hmm. And that really kind of helps you, you know, start transitioning from working in your business to on your business. Um, it does take time mm-hmm. and, and it is really hard. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. That one pager is real. Well, most of his tools are pretty hard to think through. But that's because he's yeah. forcing you to think through what's like to work on your business and not just what's
1: immediately in front of you. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, no I, I completely agree. And, you know, for for me, I. I've always had this belief to think small, not necessarily to think big, because I worried that if I were to think big, I would miss out on all the small stuff. And so I recommend that as well, to think small, to build small, to grow small, because when you do that before you know it, you're big.
0: Um, That's so interesting. I'm the opposite of you. Yeah, <laughs> I am. Yeah, I've my approach has always been think big, imagine to what it could be. And what it needs to be and what you want it to be, because when when you know that for me, it just becomes so much easier to plan from point A where I am today to mm-hmm. where I'm going to be, because I know where I'm going. Like, I know what that mm-hmm. looks like at the end of mm-hmm. the day. So mm-hmm. I've always been, you know, think as big as possible and then kind of go backwards from that. <laughs> and yeah, just yeah. Kind of Build your way back to like, yeah. this is where I want to be. But this is where I am today. All right, now connect the dots somehow. Mm-hmm. and My brain starts processing that. So mm-hmm. that's so interesting. Yeah. <laughs> that you, yeah, that is yours funny. is just the opposite way. But maybe it's just all personality. It's, you know, every business owner is unique. It's it's mm-hmm. really whatever works for
1: you. Right. And I do have the intention as to what I want the end game to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I then scale down to... Huh, uh, the opposite of scaling up. I scale down to <laughs>
0: also can you can also write a good book called Scaling Down.
1: Scaling down. <laughs> yes. Scaling down. It's a it's a number one bestseller already. <laughs> uh I I think about, okay, well, I gotta start building that ladder and what does that ladder look like? I don't get lost in the minutiae. Yeah. Um, I, I figure out, all right, this is what I'm I I'm gonna build. And then I'm going to let the pieces fall in beta test. I'm a beta tester, a massive beta tester. So uh, I'm I let me go go back. When I realized that I had been putting a lot of my efforts into into areas in which I should not be in. I I had already owned my business at that point for too long is the way I saw it. I had been doing it for Mm -hmm. too long for me to be to not have gotten past this mm-hmm. but I had to kind of give myself a little bit of um of a pass because I was also raising a family and I did have a, a little one and um there were some health issues between the three of them that I had that had to be dealt with and you know on and on and on so I have to forgive myself for the having gotten to this point Later than I had anticipated, but sure. I I rolled it up real quick and in two years was able to do this. So what I did was I recognized that in my field of business, August is a dead zone. August is when people just really don't do much business. There's no there's no book you cleaning, know. you know. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of yeah, it's pretty quiet. So August is the month that I do my house cleaning. And that was when I started, uh, I would write down, I had a lot more free time on my hands. So I took the time to write down everything, write down everything that you do, everything. What's your role? Um, what What does a typical day look like? It was time consuming. It was laborious. But I really had to have to see with my eyeballs, what am I actually doing? When am I doing it? And how much, how much of it could really be somebody else's job? Mm-hmm. Uh, So then um, make a list of what I did this I made a list of what everyone should look like what did I want everyone to look like what did a good client look like to me what what um, amount of revenue did they have what field did they come from what what's uh, service industry or what rather what industry were they in what did a good employee look like what did a boss look like like what should I look like what should everyone's role look like. Um, that was important because if I wrote if I, when I wrote down, this is what um, the boss of this company should look like. Well, it looks like I don't look like that. <laughs> <laughs> <Like, laughs> you no, know? well, being will aware is a good thing. Yeah. So and also it helped me start really hiring the right people Yeah. because I had had good luck, but not the greatest luck. Yeah. And so I had to scale back and be like, okay, what what qualities, what personality qualities, sure. what what you know, all of the qualities that I needed them to have in order for them to stay with me employee Client, whatever it may be, needed to write that down. Um, if there are other people in your office, you got to write down what their roles are. Um, if that's C levels, that's D levels, you know, whatever level they're at, you got to clearly define their roles and then clearly define what their responsibilities ought to be. You got to write yeah. it down. R- write I would down- say
0: that it's interesting. I've definitely been, I've seen it where. There are companies without that clarity, mm-hmm. and I think the common mistake that everybody has is, one, for most business owners, because most business owners, um, honestly, like, we're high performers, right? We're high-functioning, high mm-hmm. high-performance high performers. We have very high standards of our mm-hmm. work and how we go about working, and mm-hmm. we also naturally assume everybody else in the world has the exact right. same standards. And which so. they don't. When you when you have a company where you aren't clarifying the roles and responsibilities and who's accountable for what, we naturally assume that if we throw home, we hire a bunch of people and throw them in a room together, they'll figure it out. And that's the yeah. thing; it's that no, that's 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 not the case. And if they mm-hmm. do figure it out, most likely they'll probably end up in some spot or land in some spot that wasn't where you intended, right? But what you wanted them to figure out. Mm-hmm. So as the leader, it is it is our responsibility to provide that clarity to our company. Mm-hmm. And to the people
1: working in it. And
0: it. I have seen it gone very sideways when that is yeah. not clear. And nobody wants to take responsibility for that job.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You got to use your words. And it sounds like the simplest, most elementary thing. But it's in, in impressive the amount of non-communication there is out there. I highly recommend all of the things that I just said to write it on paper. Print it yeah. out. You like t- type it out, print it out, put it in a folder, so you can start building a. There's such a m- a massive difference in the way that we comprehend between reading something on a computer and holding it in your hand and reading and it,
0: living it, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So embracing if, it. Absolutely. So
1: everything that you do, you got to write it or type it, print it out, and put it in a <laughs> folder.
0: <laughs> I'm still old fashioned. I still I still believe in the whole like like as humans, we're wired to embrace what we write. Yes. Um, I know some people are much more like, I'm just, I'm just low tech. I'm like super low tech, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I'm like, here's my journal, here's my pen. Like I'm super low tech about things. So I've, I've heard for other people, it does work for them to kind of write it up on, on the computer. Um, but I also think that, there are definitely a lot a large population of us who still think that low tech is the is the way to do it. So Well,
1: and you know what? If it works for you to type it and write it, do mm-hmm. that too. But it should be something that you could transfer from person to person. Right. In the end, you want it to be something that could transfer from person to person. So that in the end, you could if you are either hit by a bus or decide to make a mad dash to Hawaii and never speak to anyone again, Your business can continue to make money. You can still pull your money from wherever you are in Timbuktu. Um, So I'm going to take it a step further. And you have to also write down how things get done. So start in layman terms and start shoring it up from there. And I tell you, I did all of these things in August of 2018. And then I beta tested it every quarter. How is it working? How is it working? How is it working?
0: That's a good point, though. I think what a lot of people miss is, and again, you, you start realizing this, at least I did rather quickly, or or if you look back on it, maybe not quick enough. <laughs> um, but, you know, I uh, have never hired people. So when I first started hiring people, you know, I made a lot of mistakes not realizing that everybody learns differently. Yeah. Everybody really does learn differently. They Mm -hmm. comprehend information differently. So it really forces you to kind of um, be disciplined in how you're actually conveying the information to make sure that it actually lands, like they actually hear what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Um, But everybody does that. I I think maybe because I get that false perception because in school, everybody, we were taught all the same way. The, so you think together, everybody yeah. learns the same way. And when you have employees and you really want your employees to do well, you quickly realize that they do not learn the same. Everybody comes no. home with different experiences. They have different assumptions. So mm-hmm. your one sentence can mean something different to like to five everybody. five people, five different interpretations of it. So that's why the beta testing and um the feedback loop that you seem to have, mm-hmm. like that's key because just putting it on a piece of paper and shoving it towards somebody that that that's not training. <laughs> that is not handing no. things off. Right. You need to have a full like 360 feedback loop that comes back to you and testing to see if what you're putting out there is actually being received as you intended. And that's Absolutely. a lot of work. Mm-hmm. It, it is tedious. You're doing it every quarter. Um, at, we, we had a way to do it, too. I used to test it on every new employee. So if we had anything written up, we always say you have to test it by somebody else and you can't yeah. talk to that person. So you can't hand them something and then be by them and answer any questions. I was like, it has mm-hmm. to be good enough so that when you hand it to them, they can get to 95 percent of what you intended without asking mm-hmm. you any questions. Yep. Um, But yeah, it's it's a, it's it's very tedious, but the effects are amazing.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I have all of it written out. How do I bill a client? How do I um, onboard a client or an employee? How do I accept the payment? How what are the platforms and the tools that the company uses? What are the office hours? What do I do when X happens? What do I do when Y happens? Yeah, You, you know, you have to separate your company from yourself. You and your business are not the same person. And there's so, a, there's a
0: there's an art and a skill to that too. What you're yeah. saying, like how you put this documentation together. I mean, we would have a whole other episode just to discuss yeah, that because absolutely. there is there is a way to do it mm-hmm. that is efficient and effective.
1: Yeah. In, in 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 any case, either way you go about it, or any way you go about it, you have to write out the recipe that bakes your business. That is the business. Biz- <laughs> like, what is the recipe? <laughs> what are the-
0: that's a great way of putting it, because I don't think, I, you know, and that's the thing is, I think I was fighting it for the longest time. I was like, oh, my God, there's no way I need to go into this much detail.
1: Yeah. Right.
0: I do not yeah, have to do. go into this level of detail. <laughs> and you're right. It is like a recipe where you go into every minute detail mm-hmm. so that there is no room for misinterpretation, because otherwise yeah. your cakes will not come out looking a little funky. <laughs>
1: Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And and this is all these are all things that you're doing to work on your business. Yeah. Um. So yeah, they might be tedious. And yeah, they might be laborious. And yeah, they take a lot of time. But this is really, truly you working on your business and creating a magnificent masterpiece. Um. And then it, you, the amount of freedom you get out of it is is completely worth it in the end. Um, but I will also say that now earlier I was talking about the whole, you know, wasting your time going to networking events. Um, not to say that networking is not beneficial in some way, and we will talk about that in a future episode. But in regards to working in or on your business, um, this I found to be so much more effective. And I also did this between, in Now, mind you, whatever month it is that is your slow month, do it in that slow month. For me, it was August. So I go August 18, August 19. These are the things that work. These were not the things that work. These are some things that I have ideas about. August 19 to August 20. Now I have like, you know, so I August 20. Well, to be honest, August 20 was still hair on fire between all of (laughs) like tax season literally never ended for us. And we're still in at, you know, you're about to go into your extension period around August, right? end of August. It is just just my God. Well, anyway, so the things that I'm like, all right, now these are absolutely working. Things are really going really good. Um, But August 20 to August 21, again, will be my my time to test. Um, But what I did. Is if you don't already have one, make a spreadsheet of your current clients and break them out. Name what they do, how long they've been a client, how they came to you? Was it a referral? Did they come through you online? Did they you know whatever way it is that they came to you? Um, who who referred you or who who referred that client to you? Put the name there. Um, you need to capture who your clients already are and where they're coming from. This way you can grow your business from your strongest clients. Uh, If you find that most of your business is coming from one referral person or one industry, then you know that you need to focus on that. Now, then you make a second spreadsheet of your competition, who they are nationally, who they are locally, how long have they been in business, what seems to be from what you can find to be their marketing efforts. And how is your company different than theirs? How can you differentiate? What makes your company special? Tedious, time-consuming, I get it. (laughs) But after I did that, it was very eye-opening to me. Come to find out, all of that time and effort that I had put into specific networking things, I had gotten zippo zero from it. Mm Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, I just wasted a ton of time. I really did waste a lot of time. I really wish I would have gotten into this three years prior, but oh, well, it is what it is. Uh, <clears throat> I came to find that.
0: Well, that's all about entrepreneurship. Lots of adjustments. Totally.
1: <laughs> and I came to find out that my um, 90% of my clientele were coming from very specific people and Interestingly, I also found that most of the most of my clients came from one of four industries that I never really thought that that's where they were coming from. I don't know. I just never thought about it here. I was thinking that a lot. Oh, I work really well with this industry when in reality, apparently all this time i had been really working well in a totally different industry. And so that helped me tremendously. I stopped. I stopped going to as many networking events. I started focusing more on and fostering those relationships and the business changed immeasurably. Yeah, I think it's pretty
0: hard to analyze what's in your head. That's why data is so important. That's why writing things down is so important. It does offer writing down or typing out, whichever the case. But somehow when it comes out of your head, you're able to kind of analyze it from there's a there's like taking a step back and being able to analyze what Mm -hmm. is actually occurring. And -hmm. it's interesting. I did something similar to what you were saying. You know, I. um. I don't, because it's just, you know, again, everybody's lifestyle is a little bit different. I did it kind of in bite-sized chunks where every, um, at least when I was starting, and I still do this now, is that every Saturday morning, you know, that's my time to Mm -hmm. work on the business or if it's a project, work on the project as I am now in between projects. Um, And then also just working on my life. Um, I kind of take the same approach is just taking a step back and kind of analyzing where I am in life in general but that aside um you know you get to a point where you do start analyzing you know what am i doing today and if it's working and it's interesting because i did a very similar thing where i had looked at where my business was coming from and but my Mm -hmm. conclusion was different than yours (laughs) so Mm -hmm. it's interesting so what i did was um you know, again, like you, your approach and my approach is slightly different We're starting at two ends of the spectrum, right? You're starting mm-hmm. with what you know and what you have today. I, I started with where I want to be, where I want to go, and what do I want to see? And I start from that angle. So when I did the same analysis you did, what I came back with is, oh, my gosh, like my business only comes from a couple of sources. I need to diversify that like no other. <laughs> 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 and so that has propelled me to start going into um that propelled me into going into changing our marketing changing our brand to mm-hmm. to be attractive and to be able to attract business online because mm-hmm. I think a lot of businesses, um, when we start, we start with referrals, and really yeah. that's like a one-trick pony, right? Yeah, and yeah. The problem with referrals is it's incredibly sporadic. You never know where they're coming in, and it's, it's just tedious it's, and time-consuming. It could be tedious. It could be time-consuming, and it's just it's you know it's it's hard to predict. So you and it's hard to build a business when you're not really sure when your next you know when your next windfall might be coming to you. And so when I when I had done that analysis, I ended up expanding so that you know I didn't rely just on referrals. I ended up you know boosting up my web presence, my mm-hmm. social media presence, you know, just kind of different ways to kind of gain business instead of mm-hmm. just. Um, I guess in your case, I think you it sounded like what you were saying is you were doubling down, and then I ended up yeah. doubling down somewhere else. <laughs> that was my yep. like conclusion. So it's just <laughs> interesting how we both kind of did a similar analysis and then just ended up with different conclusions. Not that it both worked, right? It both yeah. worked. It's just, I think, again, unique to each business owner and what what system and what approach, it, you know, you can adapt that works for you.
1: Absolutely. And that's actually a great segue to our famous examples, because I think that your example and my examples are are very different. I mean, they still came to the same place of success, yeah. but took different approaches so, <clears throat> why don't we start with you on sure. what your, um, and the reason why we do the, the reason why we do a famous example is because, you know, she and I can talk about our personal experiences all day long, but it does help for you to, um, learn about another business that is national, global, Highly successful that has taken our our small example and built it on a global scale, and mm-hmm. it helps you kind of really it helps us actually more more so drive home what we're talking about. Yeah. <clears throat> so why don't Absolutely. why don't you go ahead and uh, share with everyone your your yeah. famous example?
0: So yeah, so I came across um, Kathy Hughes, who mm-hmm. is the founder of Radio One. I came up across her story because I was listening to um, How I Built This by Guy Raz on I NPR. Love that. Oh, my yes. God. So Kathy Hughes was the second per- second or third person they interviewed when they started a podcast. Hmm. I think Sarah Blakely was the first one. And oh. when I listened to the story of Kathy Hughes, I was like, I, I must have listened to it on repeat for like a week. <laughs> i was like she's just so amazing yeah um but yeah so for and and the funny thing is you know she's not exactly for what she's built it's um at least for me i never heard of her until i've actually listened to the podcast but essentially Mm -hmm. kathy hughes is well the the company was called radio one i think in 2017 they called it Uh, Urban One instead, just to kind of reflect kind of the demographics that they speak to. But she's basically Mm -hmm. the founder and current chairperson of the Urban One Inc. And it's the largest African-American owned and operated broadcast company in the nation. And it's like a multi-million, multi-media conglomerate. And it's just amazing because when you listen to her story, I mean, she literally... Started, I mean, she even had a story even before this, but when she was kind of, you know, quote unquote on her own, it was her in a tiny little radio studio in Georgetown, actually. Oh, cool. Um, Tiny little studio in Georgetown, and it was her and her son, her baby son, who, and they all lived there. Wow. While she was building this out. So, you know, you want to talk about like the true definition of a one woman show. Um, she was that but it just you know and if you ever do get to listen to her interview like she's just she has this amazing spirit that you can hear it that even in that situation she felt like she was the luckiest person on earth to be able to do this and have this amazing studio in georgetown even though it was tiny (laughs) and she's able to kind of build the um the the station the way she wanted and i mean of Uh course she went from that to you know the company went public in 1999 Uh and um her baby son is now i think the ceo of it Um, and so yeah it's such such a cool story but yeah you know her herself like you know she really just took it from like one herself at a time and she started hiring the next person the next person and Mm -hmm. as she goes through all this different variations and now that she's a public company with you know hundreds of employees at this case you would imagine that you know she straddled between working in the business and working on the business but she's always She's always had a big vision of what she wanted to accomplish. That's where mm-hmm. she started. So like you were just saying, our two approaches are different. So this is our famous examples. Yeah. Um, she had this very um, audacious dream of what she wanted her business to look like. and then from mm-hmm. there, she built it piece by piece by piece um, as she went throughout the years. and and so, like I said, if you ever get a chance to read up on her or yeah, look at her I will. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's just so inspiring or whatnot. But yes, that's kind of the example I was thinking about. Just kind of having that big picture and then also figuring out where you are today and then building towards that.
1: Very cool. Well, for me, it was a tie between Ford and Airbnb. Oh, nice. Uh, Yeah.
0: I love the Airbnb guys.
1: They have a great story. They really do. And I know that I could go on for hours about them, but I'm going to I'm going to go. Um, I'm, I'm just going to I'm just going to use a teeny tiny example of what they did. So um, but first I'll talk about Ford. So Ford made some incredible changes internally in order to stay relevant. And to do that, they had to streamline their process, which is which is hard to believe that Ford ever experienced such a thing because you think Ford and you think how could they ever not have. These processes, right? But they did. They experienced this um, in their uh, accounts payable department. So Ford was aghast when they found out that their competitor, Mazda, had an AP team of five. Ford had 500, 500 people in that same department. Oh, my gosh. Isn't that crazy? I can't
0: imagine even 500 people, like, well,
1: like 500 people. <laughs> believe me, I understand. And then the funny thing is, is that I lived in I lived in Michigan in the Detroit area at that time. And my high school was uh, I most of the people that went to my high school's kids or the kids, their parents worked for um, Ford because the Ford plant was just a stone's throw away from my high school. And it was really interesting because um, as big as it was, the grumblings of the parents would fall onto the shoulders of the kids and it would become a lot of times um, cafeteria chatter. And Mm. back then it was clear that Ford had a lot of chinks in the armor. So um, anyway, Ford was scratching their heads on how Mazda was able to streamline the procure-to-pay process at the size that they were at. Now, I'm talking about 1992. Mazda was, I mean, now today you don't think even think about it, right? But this is pre-internet, pre-World Wide Web, pre the notion that you could automate automatically. And Mazda was very quickly overtaking the auto industry world. Actually, most foreign companies were, and the big three were, were, and if you remember, if you do remember the 90s, you may remember that um, the big three GM and four right. and all of them, they were they were really understanding that. Oh, oh crap. Oh, crap. <laughs> something something big is about to happen. And in 2006, it all came to a head. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, in this one way, uh, Ford was able to change and revolutionize They actually did revolutionize this. So they formulated a hypothesis. If we rethink how accounts payable, part of the procure to pay process creates value, then we can restructure our entire approach to invoicing and thus save a lot of money. So Ford put this hypothesis into action and they took a page from their competitor's playbook and reduced their headcount by 75 percent through invoiceless processing. It was an incredible and perhaps one of the largest examples of process mining, which is, which is pretty amazing
0: wo- that a, a company even of that size. You, and again, I think to your point is and I think both of the points we were making that you never stop doing this. You constantly Absolutely. have to keep refining and keep working on it. And just to take, look at your example at that size. They're still yeah. trying to refine what they're doing and they still which have to is- step back and take a look to see you know, how to Absolutely. work on it instead of working it.
1: Which is which is why in the beginning of the podcast, I was saying you don't don't take it to heart if you are a really large company and you recognize that there's you will still recognize you're always working on your business. You should be working on your business until you are no longer associated to that business. Uh, And Ford is a perfect example of that. So uh, my next one is Airbnb. So they started off as a great idea, but the creators really didn't expect it for it to grow at the astronomical rate that it did. (laughs) Right. So but if you tried using Airbnb when it was new, like I did, you'll remember it was kind of clunky and it wasn't a great product, but it was a really good idea. So and I remember at that time being like, but it feels like it should work. (laughs) <laughs> like It feels like it should be good. It sounds like a great not. idea, but it's, it's kind of not like a really good idea get there. Yeah, yeah. I had faith in them. But so it turns out that they knew that there was a failure on their end, uh, unbeknownst to me and probably most consumers. But they zeroed in on it as being a process problem. So they re-engineered their product development process, not optimized wow. it or automated. it. They just redesigned it. And by doing that, they created a digital environment that made that clunkiness disappear they mm-hmm. also organized around outcomes not tasks
0: always found, always outcomes i found that first.
1: very interesting
0: yes yes so we after do an entire podcast about that oh, as well <laughs> absolutely
1: let's talk about that after <laughs> after their after their experiment they soared to even bigger heights and now they're a completely airtight company yeah, Both have you
0: seen of, their, like, they're also the, I, uh, the, I am currently the sponsor of my weekend getaway this coming weekend? Is Airbnb.
1: <laughs> I am um, currently with my, my sister-in-laws and my mother-in-law. We are already, we've been going on Airbnb to look for a place. And then we, oh, that's always our first go-to place is Airbnb because it's when would
0: be great. If you've, it, like you said, a user from them in the beginning, you see where they are now. You're like, you guys have been doing such an amazing job. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Years, get it.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. But what both of these firm, what both of these uh, examples did is that they are firm examples of process mining, process yeah. reengineering and proving that the success of being data driven and showing that the majority of process workflows occur within systems. It is it is a math game in some in some senses. Mm-hmm. So it you really have to understand that about your company and and i i can't i cannot stress enough how important it is to separate you from your business in order to be able to do this because if you don't see yourself and, and i we should have prefaced this at the beginning of the podcast but if you don't see and you and i have come across um, businesses that you're like you know okay i'll, I'll give you a year <laughs> but they don't see themselves different or separate from their business. They think that they and the business are one and the same. You cannot see yourself in the business one and the same uh, because if you do, it doesn't matter if you do any of these things, you will still be a slave to your company.
0: Well, so, I, you know, I would, I would, so my approach to that is probably just a slightly a little bit, like, I think that there are situations that if it fits the personality of the person to do so. Then you know more power to you. Our um, podcast here is really about entrepreneurs and business owners who are trying to grow a business, yeah. separate from themselves, and instead of being kind of the main you know person in the business. Yeah, I see some great you know, and I guess I guess I call it differently because. It's not that you're not entrepreneurial. I just, I've just i always think entrepreneur is to create a business that other people can function within the business yeah. as well. Whereas like, you know, sole entrepreneurs or sole proprietors, mm-hmm. moreover, you know, it's just a little bit different, right? It's a little bit different if you are – and again, these are probably people in like – Service professions like attorneys, um, mm-hmm. uh, attorneys, not lawyers because they're the same, attorneys like yeah. doctors, dentists, accountants, they're mm-hmm. really um, big in this area where they can go off on their own, kind of hang the shingles and their entire business could be just them plus an assistant. And yeah. they do really well for themselves. But the only thing is like for me, an entrepreneur is able to step away from their business and their business is still generating money. Yes. And and yeah. if you're one in the same in your business, kind of like what you're describing, which is like kind of from in my mind, like a solopreneur or a sole proprietor, um, that's OK. You know, if mm-hmm. that fits your lifestyle that works. Just realize that, you know, again, you know, when when you aren't working. You aren't making any money either. Yeah. And so there is yeah. a little bit of a distinction there. Um, Absolutely. for us, we're really gearing towards, you know, the the first example, which is to be able to have your money you have your business still generate money for you even when you're not actively working on it.
1: Right. It's um, a wheel that turns itself as opposed to a wheel that you have to turn.
0: Yeah, yeah. And like I said, it's it's you know, whatever business that fits you, that model that right. fits you. I just wanted to kind of make sure that we're clear that there, there's no wrong way about doing it. Mm-hmm. It's just the fact that I guess a lot of our material is geared towards the entrepreneurs who actually want to build a business that'll be actively generating
1: them money while they're even while they're away. Well, and you know what? Just don't take our word for it. We're here to (laughs) we're we're here to present to present all of the advice that we can give from our real world experience. Yeah, that's why we also share the famous examples for you to take uh what you learn from the bigger companies that are more googleable than <laughs> us and that's why we also uh go into providing you with some book recommendations and app apps and platforms and the such my my book that i'd like to recommend for you to read and further the conversation either within yourself or within your company is the book The Focus Project The Not-So-Simple Art of Doing Less by Eric Qualman. It's a short read, and it gives great insight on how to better delegate and to say no more often. So this isn't just a business book. It is a way to delegate your life as well. It's more often than not, the business not not just as a person I, and I think feel like women do it more often than men. M- women have a harder time saying no than men do. Um, but saying no more often <laughs> is more often than not the beginning of the downward spiral. So you need to learn how to delegate, learn how when something might not might not be right for you or your business mm-hmm. and learn how to say no more often. Um, I also think it's important for you to use the right tools to automate. of course, Use whatever it is that works for you, but I'll share with you what uh, I did. I personally wanted to get myself out of the steps of onboarding a client. I wanted to define my role more as the salesperson, if you will, and then the account manager. So I use Process Street. It's Process dot Street for mm-hmm. checklists. I created multiple checklists in there for my team to use when onboarding a client, and I have a checklist on there for when I'm onboarding a contractor as well. And I also used Lucidchart to create workflows. I use onboarding workflows now when talking to a potential client. And that visual, seeing the workflow, because the way I have it set up is like three or four different swim lanes and what they do and how long does it take in between and like all of that stuff, making it visual, it tends to make the client more comfortable with choosing to go with us. And every time they say, oh, wow, like this is way more information than I, if you are, are this good at articulating what you guys do with us, chances are our intercommunication is going to be amazing, which of course it is. Um, I am a huge fan of G Suite. I use G Suite and I have all of my team organized in there and we use it to the best of uh, our ability. I created a corporate website through G Suite where all of the processes live, the um, if this then that's live, uh, that's where all of this is where I've listed all of my um, people that I like to refer to and their information so that if let's say a bookkeeper wants to, uh, has a client is working with a client and the client's like, Oh, I don't have a CPA. Then that bookkeeper can easily go into the corporate website and say, okay, I have a few that I can send in your direction, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And then I also have like where all the processes are. Let's say, for example, they don't know how to do whatever it is. They don't know how to do. And then, or, or I wonder how it is that versatile deals with X. I mean, granted, I don't have like a full-on employee handbook because, you know, to be honest, we're all we're all contractors. But I do have like these are the steps in which to do this, or these are the steps in which to do that, and it helps keep them from having to ping me every time, right? And only ping me when I nest. I I absolutely need to be a part of a conversation, right? So so those are my recommendations. What about what about for you?
0: So the book recommendation I have, which. Is uh, a classic, a really a book that's been around for some time. Um, so a lot of people may have already heard of it. It's called uh, E Myth. Mm-hmm. So more specifically, E Myth Revisited: Why Small Businesses Don't Why Small Businesses Don't Work and What to Do About It. And so the whole idea, it's um it's called E Myth because it's it's uh it's called the entrepreneurial myth.
1: Right, so myth,
0: not not it, E as in like uh, internet. No, yeah, e as in yeah, internet. exactly. So E Myth. So it's by Michael Gerber. And it's centered around the the premise of the idea that there's a myth that most people who start small businesses are entrepreneurs. So it's a a little bit about what I was talking about. It's really distinguishing who's an entrepreneur and who is not or who's creating jobs for himself. Um, the the second part of the the book, the premise is that the, it's a fatal assumption that an individual who understands the technical work of a business can successfully run a business that does that technical work. Mm -hmm. So again, we fall into, you know, again, my examples of uh, doctors fall into this, accounts fall into this, lawyers fall into this, where they're amazing at the technical work they do. And they can certainly go out and create a business under their own name, Mm -hmm. but there is a difference between doing a business like that um, versus building a enterprise right or building right. just a business like we were talking about where it can still generate you money even when you're not actively working on it mm-hmm. and for a lot of the people who go off and they, they you know they're like oh I'm an entrepreneur I own a small business and then all they're really doing is just the technical work they've ended up creating jobs for themselves mm-hmm. and the the book is um, an easy read because he does it in kind of a storytelling way. So you're kind of following this uh, woman who owns a bakery and kind of how she went off because she basically was great at baking and she wanted to have a bake shop of her own. But then she didn't realize that owning a business or being a true entrepreneur and getting to that life where a lot of people, this is what, you know, they get that, uh, what they what do you call it, the entrepreneur spaz. Mm-hmm. So it's great idea. They take the they take the, um, the leap and they go out and open their own shop not realizing that in their view of what a business is and a business having to run on its own and generating money when they don't have to work on it every – like they don't have to be the person generating money every day. That takes a lot of thought, mm-hmm. a lot of attention. It takes a lot of process. It takes mm-hmm. a lot of um, clarity that – others who go into business really just wanting to be the technician and the boss of their own schedule. It's just mm-hmm. a very different mindset and a very different approach. And so this book actually does kind of, I don't know if it actually really goes down too many how to's or applications, but it probably is a little bit more, um, it'll definitely show you how to kind of change your mindset Mindset, okay, yeah. about how you're approaching. Cause it really all starts there. You start mm-hmm. thinking, approaching things differently then your business will become different. And um, that kind of leads me to kind of the tools. You know, I don't have any tech, um, I guess, tech tools or anything like that I can kind of point to. I guess mine is probably just a little more philosophy. But I -hmm. mean, just to kind of just stress the importance of carving time for yourself on a very regular basis where you're solely focused on working on your business. Mm-hmm. That is, I feel like the only way for you to start taking steps outside of working in your business yep. because you will get sucked in. There's a lot to do, and if you're a successful business and you're generating revenue, there's even more to do.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: So you know, even if it's not every weekend, uh, it could be the month, like you said, um, the month of August. That works out for you. Mm-hmm. That's that's mm-hmm. a one month out of twelve months. That's great too. It could be every quarter where you basically shut down for a day. And mm-hmm. just say, hey, this is my one day where I get to work on this business plan, do whatever it is it can do. Step back, look at everything from a ten thousand feet view. Mm-hmm. But you, it's just you have to do that if you, you know, if you want to move forward toward, again, building that that business that you really want that works for you.
1: I agree. So, um, I think I think we set off our listeners on the right path, hopefully, and. Uh, I'm excited about our next episode, so uh, we're going to – we're oh, it's going to be so much fun. I can't wait. Uh, please join us for our next episode where we will discuss bookkeeping terms and why you should know them. We will discuss the most important terminology so that you're well-prepared when discussing your finances with your CPA, accountant, or bookkeeper.
0: Yeah, and we thought this was an appropriate episode to follow up on with this yes. one because – um, ultimately, when you, when you start working towards it and when you get to that level where, you know, the business is running on its own and you, you've taken a little bit of a step back, whichever the case be, whatever level, you're, your financials and what your accountant's able to give you and understanding that, that's kind of your way of keeping your finger on the pulse of the business. Mm-hmm. And yep. so if you understand how that data can work for you by mm-hmm. understanding what it means to begin mm-hmm. with and having an effective conversation with your accountant or your CFO or your CPA. Then that's, again, you know, a tangible step toward you being able to work on your business instead of in your business.
1: And this is important whether or not you plan to sell your company, whether yeah, it's an inheritable company. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't matter. Exactly. Want to ask a question, leave a comment or become a sponsor for a future episode of The Business Behind Small Business? Click on the link in the show notes and fill out the form. Until next time. Thanks. Bye.